Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We are continuing to follow Paul's train of thought um, immediately after those uh, remarkable and transformative words about living our lives in view of God's mercy uh, to us. How does his mercy, how does his love transform us and change us? Uh, The clearer we see Jesus, uh, the more transformative that love is. And then as we are transformed, guess what happens? The world, uh, our neighbors, the people around us, get a view of God's mercy through us. Um, And Paul picks up on that and he he puts some flesh on it, gives some some feet to it. Uh, He says in verse 9 of chapter 12, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So Paul's talking about love um, and he makes some application of that. In the next section, he talks about loving the body, loving your brother or sister in Christ. And how do we serve the body? How how do we demonstrate that, that sacrificial love? And then Paul ups the ante and he says, well, we're not just supposed to love the body of Christ, but we're supposed to love everybody, uh, no matter whether they're your brother and sister in Christ or whether they are out uh, in the world. Love your neighbor uh, is where he gets, uh, you know, w- w- the point that he's making, even when they're hard to love, even your neighbors that are difficult to love, even your neighbors that are your enemies, or, you know, they look at you as their enemy. Uh, and then, you know, what do, we, what do we do if we're not supposed to take justice into our own hands or pursue vengeance? Leave that up uh, to the civil authority that God has instituted. Your job is to love, not to, not to pursue vengeance. Um, so that's where we're at right now in, uh, in Romans 13. I'm going to just read verse 8 and following. Uh, we're not going to have time, as I originally thought, to do verses um, all all of 11 through 14. I'm going to read those verses, but I'm just going to be focusing uh, on verses 8 through 10. Please stand uh, in honor of God's word. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus, indeed, please help us to put on your character, um, to help put on your love uh, 
Lord, may we see and view your grace to us more clearly so that others would be able to see its transformative work in us so that we would be more loving and that you would get more glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please be seated. Uh, we're going to talk about our, our liability to love, uh, the, the debt that we owe uh, regarding uh, love to our neighbor, and then we're going to talk about love and the law, how uh, the law gives us a picture of what love looks like, and, and love helps us fulfill the law the way it was intended. So let's, let's start with verse 8, and how Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, uh, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the laws. Paul saying, uh, when he says, don't owe any, don't, do not owe one anything, is he saying that you shouldn't uh, borrow anything? I don't think he's forbidding debt. What he's forbidding is defaulting on our debts. Uh, for instance, you know, he had just said in verse 7, uh, pay to all what is owed them. So the implication is we do have debts. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So what are some of our debts? Um, what are the things that we, we owe? We, we owe um, obligations to banks. We owe obligations to employers. We owe obligations to our government. Uh, many of you have a mortgage, and that means that you have a, a debt uh, to pay every month. You write that mortgage check. Uh, maybe you have an auto loan. Um, you know, maybe you've got credit card debt. If you do, by the way, pay that off first. Um, you need to get rid of that. Um, so those are some of the debts that we owe to banks. Uh, we owe an obligation. Uh, if you work outside the home, you know, you have an employer uh, or you have a supervisor and you, you have a list of what they expect from you, kind of what you owe them. They're giving you a paycheck, you know, you owe them uh, reciprocal work, productivity, etc. And then there's, of course, government. Uh, we, we owe taxes. Um, you know, you, maybe you pay a revenue uh, in the form of a student loan uh, to the government or, or something like that. Respect and honor are things that we owe to the government. These are the debts that we can pay off, by the way. Um, conceivably, yeah, there's going to come a day when your mortgage is going to be paid off, believe it or not. There's an amortization schedule and a maturity date, and that says, all right, this is when you're expected to pay that back. Uh, it's, it's not a loan that you're not expected to pay off. Same with your, your car loan, um, same, same with everything else. Uh, we're, hopefully, you know, your employer gave you a list of responsibilities and said, all right, here's how you're going to measure success. Here's what you owe us, and we're going to do an annual performance review, and we're going to see, all right, have you been doing what, you know, you're obligated to do here? And, you know, hopefully you're, you'll get some uh, attaboys if you do, and if you don't, you know, hopefully they'll be kind in their efforts to help you get to where you need to be. You know, that, that's how it works. There's an expectation that we pay our debts, and these debts can be paid off. We're going to know in a couple of months or whatever how much exactly you owe in taxes this year. And you're going to pay that check. And it's going to be done, you know, until next year. You know how it goes. These are debts we can pay off. But there's one debt you cannot pay. I can't pay it and you can't pay it. And Paul says that this is, you know, the debt of love, this obligation 
that we have uh, where there in verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. This debt, this obligation to love each other that you cannot pay back. Um, when we get to the point in our relationships, either with those that you know, we're close to, those that we just sort of know, you know um, maybe you're just an acquaintance, and even those who are strangers who you kind of bump into, there's, there's still this sense of what is proper, you know, what, what do I owe you and what do you owe me? And, and, and so when we get to these points in our relationship where we're feeling like that, that understanding isn't being reciprocated, we end up getting into this mentality where we think, well, this person owes me. This person isn't reciprocating my love, my courtesy, my respect, my honor. They owe me. I'm, I'm paying out more than I'm getting back. And um, what verse 8, what Paul is saying, what the Bible is saying is that that is an invalid conclusion to make in any relationship. You never get to a point where you've sufficiently paid off your obligation to love your neighbor such that you can sit back with your arms crossed and say, all right, give me some love. We're, I'm, I'm done unless, you know, you get off the dime and, and reciprocate. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that you and I have never, ever loved someone enough. You've never paid off the debt. You've never fulfilled that obligation to love. Leon Morris puts it this way. We can never say that I have done all the loving I need to do. Love is a permanent obligation, a debt that is impossible to discharge. And yet, um, I go through uh, life, and I think you, all, all of us go through life trying to limit our, our obligations when it comes to love, and we start thinking about, like, well, I'm only called to love certain people. You know, these people over here, I'm, I don't really have an obligation to them, but all right, I'll accept my obligation to this group. And uh, the Bible doesn't let us off the hook. If we start thinking like the teacher of the law, you know, well, who exactly is my neighbor? You know, Jesus is just going to deconstruct our view of, you know, this false idea that, hey, I've got these people I'm obligated to love, but I don't have to love my neighbor over here. And, and Paul, uh, Paul's in that line of thinking, too, here. He says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul doesn't even use the word neighbor there. He uses um, what other translations, uh, they'll, they'll use the language of uh, the one who loves his fellow man. And that's just pretty generic. That's everybody. We don't get to put, um, you know, parameters around the group that we want to love. The gospel is calling us to love completely and indiscriminately. But we limit that. We try we falsely limit that. The other kind of way that we try to limit love is we think that we're only called to love the lovable. You know, we want I'm okay to love somebody as long as that love's going to be reciprocated. They're going to love love me back. Um, when somebody doesn't love us back, then we think we don't have to love them back, right? You know, if they've insulted us, then, well, I don't have to love them back. In fact, I'm going to insult them back. If somebody curses us, you know, I don't have to love them back. I'm going to curse them back. If somebody injures us, well, I don't have to love them back. I'm going to injure them back. 
This is that cycle, by the way, that Paul had just been refuting uh, back in chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless slash love. Love them. Do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him slash love him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Love him. Uh, You are not allowed to limit our love based on as long as you love me back. So what, uh, what the gospel is doing is it's disrupting uh, me and you and I think all of our paradigms of love uh, because it basically says that we, we have this obligation that we'll, we can't pay back. It's always going to be over us. It feels like a burden until we realize some other things about love. First of all, we realize what, what does love look like? Uh, it's easy to kind of give lip service and say, well, you know, yeah, I know God wants me to love my neighbor, and we know the right things to say. If you've been in church long enough, you kind of know the lingo. If you haven't been in church, you know, and this is new for you, then, you know, good. You're not kind of exposed to some of the trappings that those of us who have been around the block a few times uh, have. You're actually at an advantage in some respects. And the reason is this, because it, we, we say we love people, but, but we don't follow through. Um, we know the words to say, but what ends up happening is we don't act in a loving way. And the, and the way, that's where, where Paul brings in the law here in uh, verses 9 and 10. The law keeps us accountable, and it shows us what love looks like. Paul says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And Paul's putting this, this relationship between the law and love together that we cannot miss. Um, Kevin DeYoung, pastors in Grand Rapids, and he, he's written a bunch of books, but one of them is The Whole in Our Holiness. It's a great title, kind of exposing the fact that a lot of uh, contemporary Christianity um, is really, really... Uh, keen on grace, uh, God's forgiveness. You know, God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, and we love to hear that, but it doesn't follow through with uh, Jesus isn't just your Savior, he's your Lord as well. And so the whole in our holiness, Kevin DeYoung says that some Christians make the mistake of pitting love against law as if the two were mutually exclusive. You either have a religion of love or a religion of law, but such an equation is profoundly unbiblical. If you enjoin people to love, you are giving them law. And conversely, if you tell them law doesn't matter, then neither does love, which is the summary of the law. So uh, he's paraphrasing essentially what Paul is saying here. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So love looks like the law. Paul um, uses this verse from Leviticus 19 where you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the the um, Jewish scholars used to go through the whole Old Testament and they would pick out all of the laws, things that God wants you to do, the things that God says, no, don't do that. And they came up with 613 commandments, two-fifths of which, over, over 200 of which are in Leviticus alone. 
And Paul, who's got this great background as a Pharisee, he knew all those 613 commandments, and he knew how rich Leviticus was with all those commandments. And so he picks Leviticus, and he goes to that verse where Leviticus just summarizes everything. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it's got application. It's got feet on it. And it has to do with things like the the Ten Commandments. Let me see the Ten Commandments there, uh, Caleb, if I may. Uh, Because we need to recognize that we've got all these different ways of looking at the law. Um, But if you remember, there's two tables. uh, And the, the commandments are summarized by loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so... We're not supposed to have any other gods before him. We're not supposed to make idols. Uh, We're not supposed to take his name in vain. And we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that's how we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbor, what does that look like? Well, you know, for starters, honoring those in authority over you. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. So those are the commandments. And the commandments tell us a little bit of, you know, what not to do, right? But we've got this tricky problem with the law. We think, I mean, part of the problem is that we don't really understand or know uh, how to keep the law in a loving way. I mean, the law shows us what love looks like, right? It's very clear about what love looks like. And it says things like, hey, guess what? It's not loving to murder, so if you want to, you know, love your neighbor, don't kill them. Surprise. But um, so we take that at face value, and then Jesus takes us deeper. And he says things like, all right, so how about this? Murder isn't just an act that you do when you take somebody's life. Murder is when in your anger at someone you act out and hurt them, or when you insult them, or when you call them names, you know, anything like that is committing murder in your heart. And he says, that's not loving. So the commandments show us what love looks like. The commandments, uh, you know, show us what love looks like when it comes to sexual purity. Don't commit adultery. Well, you can expand that to include sexual immorality. It is not loving to commit sexual immorality with someone. And I get it. You know, a man and a woman, they like each other or love each other. And they think, all right, well, there's enough here of a relationship that, you know, we can get physical. Uh, and we're just expressing our love. Even Christians rationalize sexual immorality with that. You know, we're committed to each other. I know we're not married, but it's monogamous. And, um, you know, this is a way that we can express our love for one another. Can I just tell you, that's called sin, Uh, And God says that it's not loving your neighbor, it's not loving the person you claim to love when you commit sexual immorality with that person. Everything from sexual intercourse itself to the things that lead up to that. I mean, even some forms of kissing need need a barrier over them because just one thing leads to another. And so when it comes to how do I love my neighbor, don't be deceived and think, well, you know, sexual expression is just a way of expressing love. That's reserved for marriage. And the way that you love your neighbor is to preserve that purity in yourself and in them. Um, by the way, if you are married, um, the way you love your spouse is to not have any kind of sexual relationship with someone who's not your spouse. And don't let the enemy deceive you and think that you know, this person over here 
is more loving to you and God's blessing to you and more of a gift to you than, you know, the one that you said I do to years ago. That's not love. That's sin. It's not loving to covet, by the way. Um, you know, loving your neighbor means that you rejoice in the blessings and the good things that they receive. You're not, you know, grumbling and wishing that those were yours. So you see how love helps us see, the law helps us see what love looks like. And you cannot truly love someone without keeping the law. You cannot truly love someone without keeping the law. The law shows us what love looks like. But if the law shows us what love looks like, then the law is also fulfilled by love. Verse 10 says that love is the fulfilling of the law. And I know this sounds circular, right? Okay, so love looks like keeping the law, but you can't keep the law unless you love. And so, you know, is this just some kind of mind game? Um, well, no, it's, it's not. Because um, I want you to consider the Pharisees. Jesus, Jesus was given a hard time to the Pharisees, right? He seemed to kind of have it out for them. <laughs> there, were, there just wasn't an encounter where Jesus wasn't poking the Pharisees and saying, hey, you know, what's wrong with you people? And what's wrong with those people who were keeping the law, uh, they had this reputation for being really, really scrupulous with all of those commandments and all the other, you know, 603 to, to boot. And yet they weren't, in Jesus' mind, they weren't really keeping the law. Why? Because they weren't keeping the law in a loving way. They were keeping the law kind of from this perspective. If I do X, Y, and Z as the law commands, then I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to look good like a law keeper in the eyes of other people, or I'm going to look like a religious person, a spiritual person in the eyes of other people, and that's good for me. I get, I get strokes from that. I get points. Uh, so in other people's eyes, you know, I'm keeping the law in order to appear good. In God's eyes, I'm keeping the law in order to appear good before him so that he will accept me, so that he will approve of me. And if I work hard enough and you know, check enough of those 613 boxes, then God is obliged to bless me. That view of keeping the law is lawless. That's not what the law was intended to do. It's actually breaking the law because keeping the law like that, it's all about you. It's all about me. If that's why I'm keeping the law to have a good, make a good impression on somebody else or to make a good impression on God, that's pretty selfish. I become the center of my universe and everybody's revolving around me. And instead, the way the law is kept lawfully is to make the law about serving others. Uh, I keep the law in order to serve God, in order to love God. I keep the law in order to serve and bless my neighbor, in order to love my neighbor, not to score points. I'm forgiven and not, my identity's in Jesus, not in my obedience. But my obedience becomes loving God, loving my neighbor. So one way, another way to look at the commandments, I wanna, wanna show you this second slide is to start thinking of them in terms of how do I actively love vertically and horizontally? So to actively love God instead of being religious out of some kind of selfish you know, um, way of trying to make your identity based on your behavior, you just, you love God. 
You love them and not have any other rivals for that love, no other gods. And you love them by, by not misrepresenting him, um, by getting to know him better, by knowing who he really is as he's revealed in his word and in prayer. And you don't take his name lightly. You know, his name is precious to you because he is your beloved. And you make time for him. He becomes central in your, your calendar and your thinking and your priorities. You make time to worship him. You see how that's a different way of looking at what does it mean to obey the first four commandments? It's not checking the box so that you become a good religious person. It's about being in a relationship with God and loving him actively. You get to the second table and it's more of the same. This is about actively loving your neighbor rather than just kind of being good, a good person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my neighbor by honoring them. I'm going to love my neighbor by preserving and promoting their life and their flourishing and their blessing. I'm going to love my neighbor by pr- practicing sexual purity in, 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 in myself and trying to encourage it in others. I'm going to love my neighbor by helping them flourish. I don't want to steal from them. I want to bless them. And, you know, I, I want to love my neighbor by telling them the truth. And I want to love my neighbor by rejoicing in their blessings. This really puts an entirely different spin on the law than what a lot of people tend to think about it is. Maybe this is new for you. If you've been trying to find your identity and and consider yourself a religious person based on your obedience, guess what? You're, You're in the same camp as the Pharisees. You can't do it. We mentioned before, we cannot pay our debt to love. Love is the fulfilling of the law, and none of us obeys the law completely. You know, we're, we're under this obligation. We're, we're bankrupt. We're in a deficit situation. There's only been one person in all of humankind who has completely obeyed every single commandment, and then some, and that's Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He kept every one of these commandments by perfectly loving his Father in heaven and by perfectly loving his neighbor, whoever it was that came across his screen. Consistently, accurately, scrupulously keeping the law, but not like a Pharisee, not for a sense of self-righteousness, but the way that we're supposed to keep the law, out of love for the, his neighbor, for God, uh, for his father. So one, what's wonderful is that when we look to Jesus, he's not just this example to us of, hey, this is what it looks like. He is that. But more than that, he's our salvation. Because the one who kept the law perfectly, don't forget, he went to a cross. And when he died on that cross, he died the death that murderers die. He died the death that adulterers, you know, were suffering. He, he suffered the penalty that lawbreakers endure to take our sin away. And when our faith is in him, our status as righteous or as right or as law-keeping isn't based on our behavior, it's based on Jesus. We get his righteousness, his goodness accounted toward us. So we're not in a deficit anymore. We have the riches of Christ applied to us. God looks at us and he's pleased because of Jesus, not because you and I are, you know, checking all the boxes. That's really important to understand that. That's the gospel. 
And then there's the reaction to that mercy and to that love that God freely gives us through Jesus. He takes our sins away, gives us a status that we can't possibly earn for ourselves. Then he starts to actually change us. Our hearts are moved and, and, and we respond to the love that, that Jesus has for us because he has loved us so well. He shows us what love looks like. This is how he loved you. This is how he loved me. Where would we be, for instance, if Jesus only loved those who are easy to love? Where would you be, where would I be, if Jesus only loved those who were easy to love? Because Paul told us earlier in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. God loved us when we were still his enemies. Where would we be if God, if Jesus only loved those who were easy to love? Where would we be if Jesus only loved those who first loved him? Where would we be if he was waiting to love us until we loved him first? We're told from the Apostle John that we love because he, in fact, first loved us. Where would we be if Jesus only loved those who loved him back? Do you know how he loved you? He, he wasn't waiting for you to love him back. He just loved you regardless. There was a time when Jesus was meeting with um, a rich young man, uh, the rich young ruler, and Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him and exposed the height and the length and the demand of the law um, about his covetous heart. Jesus looked at him and loved him, even though you know, uh, he knew that the, high, the calling was high. This young man, he walked away. He left. He didn't love Jesus back. But that didn't keep Jesus from loving him first. So where would you and I be, right, if Jesus wasn't willing to love us even when we weren't in a position to love him back? Where would you and I be if Jesus only returned to us as much love as we gave to him? You know, this tit-for-tat thing where I'll only reciprocate the amount of love that you give to me. Jesus didn't play that game. He loved you uh, he said, greater love is no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, and that's exactly what he did for you and for me. And there's no greater love than that. He wasn't measuring an ounce for ounce. I'll love you this much if you love me this much. He just poured it out. He poured it out completely at the cross, and he laid down his life for us. That, that's the kind of love that he has for you. And it's not dependent on you, you know, reciprocating, because that's not the nature of love. So if this is true, if this is how Jesus loves us, then let me wrap up with two questions. Has somebody hurt you? Has somebody hurt you? It's time to forgive them. It's time to, to stop the cycle of punishing them and forgive them, release them, figure out how to love them. I understand that you've been hurt. I know that there's pain there, but that doesn't release you from the debt. You owe them 
to love them, to figure out what does love look like with wisdom. And if there's a crime that's been committed, yeah, you, you need to report that to the law. There does, God does care about justice, but that's in the hands of the civic authorities. Stop punishing them. Your job is to love them because Jesus loved you. And that's really the rub. How do I get the strength to love somebody that's so, so difficult to love? Even, even on people's best days, we struggle to love because you know what? We're in this dynamic where we are only able to love people with the love that we receive. That's a fact. And so if we're looking to receive that love from other people, I'm only going to have the capacity to love to the degree to which they've loved me. And if somebody hasn't loved me, I'm not going to be able to love them. Unless. Unless you're not looking to be filled from other people. But if you're looking to Jesus to fill you, his love is limitless. Open your heart to him and receive. He cannot stop loving you enough. He will pour into you, and as as he said about living water, your soul will become a spring of living water. You will have the resources to love even the most difficult of people because you see that that's the kind of love that Jesus had for you. Does somebody hurt you? Stop punishing them. Forgive them. You've been forgiven. Forgive them. You've been paid a debt. Stop demanding that they pay their debt. What if somebody hasn't loved you well? What if somebody's not reciprocating love? It's time to stop holding back, especially you know, in marriages, for instance. Uh, this is probably the clearest application, but this applies to all relationships and friendships and roommate situations and so on. If somebody's not loving you back, maybe they haven't actively hurt you, but you know what? It's just cold. And you're thinking, well, what's the point? You know, I'm not getting anything back. What's the point? Why waste my energy? Well, because you owe them. You haven't finished paying. You're obliged to love them. And the wonderful thing is that as you and I receive Jesus' love for us, and if you're in a marriage uh, relationship, remember those vows, uncomfortable language sometimes, uh, you know, we promise to love for better or for worse. And it is within your power as a spouse, when you love that spouse who is difficult to love, it is within your power to make that marriage better. You actually can make it better if you're actively bringing the love of Jesus into that relationship. For richer, for poorer, you can actively make what feels incredibly impoverished. You make it richer with the love of Jesus that you've received and that you can give to your spouse, your friend, whoever you know, you're in that tense relationship with, for in, in sickness and in health. It is within your power, through the gospel, of receiving Jesus' love for you and passing that on to make that relationship healthier. You know what? It takes two to tango, to be reconciled, to be in a, in a dance and if that person's not going to love you back, that's on them. You can't, you can't do anything about that. Stop trying to control them. But it is within your power to love them, to do what is faithful to God and faithful to your neighbor, a keeping of the law that is summed up in the commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Real quick, verse 11. Paul says, oh, and besides all this, besides the fact that this is how God loved us through Jesus, besides the fact that this is what the law is demanding of us, besides the fact that this is the debt that you owe, know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Stop living the way the world lives. Stop loving the way the world loves. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let me pray for us. Father, we need a lot of help. Love is the hardest law that there is. uh, And yet it is the most beautiful one. And we pray that you would be at work in our hearts uh, to show us more of Jesus and his love for us so that we would have that capacity and that supply through what's been poured out from him to us so that we can be a conduit of the love that you have for the world through the gospel. Lord, teach us what it looks like to love. Uh, Help us be convinced that the law matters that there really are boundaries on what's expected of us. And we pray that you would uh, teach us repentance for the places where we've stumbled. Uh, Restore us, we pray. Lord, thank you for this calling uh, that brings life to a dead world. Thank you for this calling that brings forgiveness to a guilty world. Thank you for this calling that brings dignity to a world in shame. And Lord, we thank you for how it renews us and strengthens us and makes our lives and makes our families, our households, makes our church more like a colony of heaven, more like a picture of your kingdom being uh, coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, we just pray for everybody that you would help us to walk with you, help us to receive more of your love. Uh, and as is our habit, we, we pray for, um, for these following families. We pray for Rob and Cindy Withers.